Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Talk radio on DAB Plus. On your smart speaker. And now on your smart TV. Talk radio news. Good morning, I'm Rob Malarkey. The head of the charity, the Halo Trust, says his staff in the besieged city of Mariupol have told him those still trapped there are starving to death. Much of the Ukrainian port has been completely destroyed and those left are completely cut off from food, water and electricity. Ukraine's deputy prime minister has said evacuations today will focus on getting people out of Mariupol, but the Halo Trust CEO, James Cowan, says that can only happen with the agreements of Russian forces. One hopes that somewhere... Deep within the souls of Russian commanders, there is some humanity and a desire to allow humanitarian convoys to enter the city. The suffering of the people inside the city will continue for as long as the siege is maintained. Ukraine's president has said it would not be possible to negotiate an end to the war without a meeting with his Russian counterpart, Vladimir Putin. In an interview published by Ukraine's public broadcasting company, Suspilnye, Volodymyr Zelensky claimed he would compromise on Ukraine's bid to seek NATO membership in exchange for a ceasefire, the withdrawal of Russian troops, as well as security guarantees. But he said that would be subject to a referendum. Moscow has said its relationship with the United States is on the brink of collapse after Joe Biden claimed Putin back is against the wall in Ukraine. His remarks echo those of officials in Washington and allied nations who've accused Russia of falsely claiming Ukraine has a biological weapons program. And citing what he called evolving intelligence, President Biden has also told US businesses to increase security amid fears that the Russian government could be planning cyber attacks. An inadvertence revelation by the Kremlin says 9,861 Russian troops have been killed in Ukraine and just over 16,000 injured. A Kremlin statement released online by mistake was quickly deleted. Former Armed Forces Minister Lord Robothan says the numbers are simply staggering. Let's take our deaths in Afghanistan, which were under 500, and that went on for, well, eight years, I think, we were fighting. These, these are wartime, Second World War-type numbers, and it's pretty terrifying. And what did the... the um, Americans lost, I think, 58,000 in Vietnam over a number of years. So this is really traumatic stuff. A Russian court has found Kremlin critic Alexei Navalny guilty of large-scale fraud. Prosecutors are seeking to move the opposition leader, who's already serving a two-and-a-half-year sentence, to a maximum security penal colony for 13 years. The business secretary, Kwasi Kwarteng, has given P&O ferries until five o'clock today to write to him before he decides whether to make a formal complaint against the operator. Under UK employment law, companies that wish to sack more than 100 employees must notify the business secretary. But the small 
Business Minister Paul Scully speaking to Talk Radio says Quartang wasn't notified. The notification is a reasonable amount of time. It's got to be mm. done in a reasonable way. It's got to be with a view to actually see what more you can do before you make people redundant. Who sat under which, which jurisdiction? Were there any uh, differences with other countries, employees, contracts that may well have been signed in, uh, in Jersey reportedly? So these are the details that we need to find out. And a man's been charged with the murder of a 19-year-old woman whose body was found at student accommodation in central London last Saturday. Sabita Thamwani died from serious neck injuries. 22-year-old Maher Marouf is also accused of assaulting an emergency worker. Talk Radio. National weather. A warm and sunny day ahead, although some isolated showers may develop over parts of the Midlands, northern England, southern counties of Scotland and Northern Ireland this afternoon. Talk Radio. Hmm, what should I watch? You may well ask. No need to worry with Skyglass. This TV knows and summons quick your favourite things for you to pick. Movies, music, football too. An endless playlist just for you. So trust Skyglass and you will see. It really is the smarter TV. The streaming TV from Sky. Skyglass. Made of magic. Search Skyglass. Requires Sky TV and app subscriptions and minimum 10 megabits per second broadband. Quick talk. Fast talk. Street talk. Talk radio. The independent republic of Mike Graham. Radio you can believe in. Mike Graham. Speaking common sense unto the nation. On talk radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio as we collate all the news that's fit to print and all the stuff you don't hear about anywhere else either. There really is nowhere else to be uh, on a morning like this. It's spring-like. I didn't wear my coat to work for the first time ever this year. That's got to be good news, hasn't it? There's going to be sap rising. There's going to be spring in the air. We had the spring equinox yesterday. We had a little joke with a chicken mask. People took it too seriously. Some people, I tell you what, have you got no sense of humour at all? I know there's not an awful lot to laugh about, but when you have a chance to have a laugh, by all means do have one. Okay? as we awoke this morning, the rhetoric between the United States and Russia appears to be being ramped up after President Joe Biden claimed Vladimir Putin has his back against the wall. And then he said uh, that's when he gets dangerous. Well, that may well be, uh, but it's not very helpful for Biden to sit there in the White House making remarks about things that he doesn't appear to be too interested in doing much about. In reality, the war goes on in Ukraine. The missiles continue to fire. The Russian troops continue to fight. Uh, the resistance in every city continues to fight them back. And there appears to be, so far, no particular end in sight. Meanwhile, lots of people are trying to blame Ukraine for the problems we're having right back here in our own yard, where cost of living is staggeringly high. Uh, The price of petrol is going up. The price of all kinds of energy is going up. Uh, We've got our own problems to deal with. The cost of living crisis uh, is going to be addressed supposedly tomorrow by uh, the Chancellor in his budget statement. He's going to get up right after Prime Minister's questions. Uh, The quick question for us is, will he or won't he give us the break that we need? Or will Rishi Sunak bite the bullet and raise taxes for the hardworking, ordinary people of this country? I hope he doesn't do it. I hope uh, against hope that he doesn't put that national insurance rise in. And I do hope that he cuts the fuel duty up first this morning. We're talking to Lee Anderson, MP. He's got plenty to say on what he thinks the government should be doing for us. We'll be talking net zero. We'll be talking Partygate. We'll be talking the problem with Sir Keir Starmer as well, ahead of Prime Minister's questions. We had Angela Rayner last week, which was at least slightly more entertaining uh, than old boring Starmer. But what's he going to come up with tomorrow? 0344 499 1000. John Rental is checking in with us as well from The Independent because he and Duncan 
Duncan Smith has asked the question this morning. Is it really necessary to hire yet more police, even more time uh, being wasted on this investigation into Partygate? Just get on with it. For heaven's sake, if people need to be fined, find them. It's not, you know, trying to find the Dead Sea Scrolls at the bottom of the ocean inside the Titanic safe, is it? Why is it taking so long, for God's sake? Jamie Jenkins is also joining us. There's some new um, excess death figures out this morning in which it shows that over the pandemic, for those aged 1 to 19, the leading cause of excess mortality was indeed suicide and injury or poisoning of undetermined intent. We'll find out from him what the latest COVID scaremongery is all about as well. Howard Cox is popping in as well. It's all about the latest methods being discussed to rinse motorists. That's right. Uh, they're thinking about putting tolls on roads now. Well, if you can actually drive on them uh, where you can go fast, maybe people would pay them. 0344 499 As ever, of course, we need to hear from you. What are you hearing? What are you seeing? What are you being told? And what's happening in your neck of the woods? You tell us so we can tell everybody else. Kevin O'Sullivan's here as well. Loads more coming up, of course, on the, late, the fastest growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course, Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, it's my pleasure to introduce you to a man that we haven't spoken to for quite a while on this show, Conservative MP for Ashfield, one of the new breed of MPs that came in in 2019, a man that speaks his mind, a man that we're very happy to call a friend of the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, Lee Anderson. Lee, a very good morning to you. Good morning, Mike. Uh, Mike, before we start, um, I, you know, I'm sorry to hear that you didn't uh, get recognised in the recent honours list. I did put your name forward. <laughs> Thank you. So expect a call from the Palace shortly. Excellent. Well, that's very kind of you indeed, although I have actually publicly stated in the past that I would never accept an honour as soon as, as long as they keep giving amounts to people like Tony Blair. <laughs> you know, what can I say? Listen, we haven't talked for a while, Lee. Tell us, yep. first of all, what's uh, your constituency view? Because obviously you represent a lot of decent, hardworking people from Ashfield. Um, what's their view of the cost of living crisis, the, the way that, that prices are literally ro- ro- rocketing up, going through the roof? We don't seem to be in control of our own economy. What, what's your view of it? Well, you know what, Mike, since I've been elected, we've had uh, Brexit, we've had COVID, uh, we've got we've got the war in Ukraine. But the biggest thing that will define us as a party, as a government, is a cost of living crisis. Yeah. And I'm looking at the net zero journey that we're currently on. Uh, I think that's a little bit ambitious at the moment. I've got constituents in, in Ashfield that are struggling to pay their gas and electric bills. And I'm saying all the time, Danny, I feel like the bogeyman sometimes, that we should look at the net zero journey once again, look at people's fuel bills, get rid of the, the green levy, mm. cut the VAT, let's let's get fracking, let's explore more as, uh, gas and um, oil extraction in the North Sea, let's try and be self-sufficient. Because at the end of the day, Mike, is fuel... I know it sounds pretty simple, but it's the cost of fuel that drives everything up. Well, of route. course. I mean, you can't tell me that any, any uh, you know, all these people that sit at home going, oh, I don't go out anymore, I just get everything delivered by Amazon. Oh, really? Well, when the, the truck comes from Amazon, that's going to put the prices up of everything because the truck needs fuel. Of course it does. It's, it's, it's not just the stuff you buy on Amazon, you're quite right, it's your food. It, it, it's, you know, when you go to the supermarket, the cost of your fruit and vegetables are going up because obviously that's got to be transported from where it's far from. Mm. It's every single aspect in life at the moment as we speak that is be that, that, that you know the, the the cost of things have been driven up by this by by gas by oil and and you know i think for about 50 years mike in this country we've never really had a sensible energy policy we've shut our pits mm. we're, we're importing gas from from for goodness knows where we're still importing coal by the way from 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 other countries yeah. i know we've just uh, i know um, Tatar and British Steel have uh, said they're not going to import Russian coal, by the way. That needs to be banned. We've got a coal mine 
up in Cumbria ready to go. And we were faffing about with that. We need to get that open mm. so we can supply British coal to British steel to make beautiful British steel, which will actually drive the, the, the green journey as well. But at the end of the day, we talk about renewables. I keep hearing the argument in the chamber about renewables, renewables, renewables. That doesn't pay the little old lady's gas bill uh, at the end of my street. It was struggling, to, struggling to, you know, to actually uh, to pay any sort of bills at the moment. It's it's high time the MPs on 82 grand a year got out of that bubble, uh, visited some real people in places like Ashfield, and and actually said to them, you know. How are you struggling, and what can we do for you? That's what I'm doing every week. Well, what we did yesterday, Lee, uh, was we put together a, a sort of a package of people who called in, people who tweeted in, telling us what they wanted Rishi Sunak to do, and we sent it to 11 Downey Street yesterday uh, to the Chancellor's office to see whether he will just take note of what it is that people are going through, because I find it incredible and staggering that more people are not just giving up and just saying, we can't afford this anymore. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right, Mike. It's, it's just it, never in my lifetime have I, have I known, um, you know, and I struggled when I first started work, raising a family and, mm. and, and, you know, paying a mortgage and stuff like that. But it's never been this bad. You know, people's gas bills, it's, I'm looking at some people in Ashfield, they're looking at £3,000 a year to, to keep the houses warm and keep the lights on. I mean, when you're talking to people in Ashfield who are earning 20, 25 grand a year, that's a massive chunk they've got to pay the rent or the mortgage and the food and the electric and gas bills, they're left with very little in their pocket. And, you know, I do welcome some of the initiatives like, you know, giving a little bit back off your council tax, but that's not the answer. It's not the long-term answer. The long-term answer is to make sure that this company is self-sufficient on fuel. Mm. And if we do frack, and I've had a bit of stick over the past few weeks on my stance on fracking, but if we do frack, there's nothing stopping us making sure these fracking companies have a condition on their license or their planning to provide cheaper gas or even free gas in the local vicinity. Let's get fracking. Well, absolutely right. The problem as well for me is if you just keep subsidising these companies, uh, whether they're green energy companies or, or standard energy companies that use fossil fuels, you know, I don't understand what good that does in terms of if the if the reasoning is to keep the prices down, well, that's not working. So why the hell are we subsidising them, one? And two, uh, why are we not taxing them more when instead of lending money to people so they can pay these extortionate bills, you know, tax the actual uh, source, tax the people who are making billions and billions of pounds a year. Well, all we're doing, Mike, at the moment is recycling money. At the end of the day, it's all taxpayers' money. It's going around, you know, and like I say, the green levy, that really sticks in my throat at the moment because you're getting poor people, people in places like Ashfield, to pay for the uh, investment in renewables, which, you know, at the end of the day, Mike, when people go and put that switch on in the morning or put their kettle on, they don't give a monkeys where that, where that, where that electric comes from or where the gas comes to heat the water in the morning. They just want to have a cup of tea, have a shower, go to work, go about the daily business. And you know what? This green journey, they see the odd weirdo driving down the street in the 90 grand Tesla, you know, with their hemp vest, uh, <laughs> talking about the latest brand of real ale, which they're going to be quaffing that night, right. who's probably a member of the Green Party. And they think, my goodness, you're not in the real world. Come and live in my, my house for a week. Right. Come and take, you know, walk a mile in my shoes. And then it, it might actually explain to you the difficulties that we're going through. So that's where I stand on. Absolutely right. I mean, I was up in the northeast not long ago, and I was in a place called Wall's End. I don't know how well you know it, uh, Lee. But, I mean, an incredible uh, place to be where people have really struggled to to make ends meet, where people are so um, lacking in in sort of hard cash that the, the high street is full of, you know, Money lenders, it's full of, you know, horrible kind of quite expensive end, you know, sort of, but, but, but low rent food shops, you know, it's just not a very pleasant place to look at in terms of a community. But we were doing a show there and we asked everyone about net zero. Do you care about net zero to a man and woman? 
They didn't care. They just want to be able to afford to live their life. Well, let me tell you something, Mike. I've been knocking years for donkey, uh, knocking doors for donkey's years uh, in this political game that I'm involved in, and I can honestly say, not once has the uh, has this argument ever come up on the doorstep. That's not to say that people don't care about the planet. Of course they do, but no, nobody talks about it on the doorstep. It's, it's cost of living. It's, it's it's you know, currently it's the war in Ukraine. It's uh, obviously during COVID. It was COVID. It was Brexit during Brexit. But nobody ever talks about uh, you know the, the net zero journey. It's just not. It's just not there for discussion. They're not bothered, Mike. They, they obviously they, we, we all want to leave the planet in a better state than when we arrived here. But doing that by penalising people through the bills uh, when they can't afford to put their put the electric on or, or put the radiators on, you know, that's not a situation that I'd ever thought I'd be in uh, as a politician in this place. No, I know it's absolutely extraordinary, isn't it? But in the end, what can the Conservative government do? Because a lot of people are saying to me, Lee, still, even though Boris Johnson's recovered yep. his popularity to some extent, yep. not not back to where it was, but you know, he's better in a better place now than he was before this whole this whole war kicked off for a start. People are still saying the Tory Party should never be a Tory a, a party of, of, of high spending and high tax. When is that going to change? <laughs> That's a good question, Mike. I mean, like I said, we've had Brexit, we've had we've had COVID. I think, to be fair to the Chancellor, he's, he's, he's been dealt a poor hand since he took the job. But that said, we should be a party of low taxation. I don't see how, you know, not uh, cutting um, fuel duty to, uh, on Wednesday, that's that's an absolute must. Mm. How, much, how much we do that by? I'm hearing five pence in, in, in the papers. I don't think that's enough, personally. No. It's got to be a good chunk. You've got to be knocking 15, 20 well, it's a week. Good, I mean, let's face it. I mean, I, I bought, in a week, right, I bought two lots of diesel for my, uh, my car. Yeah. 156 it was the first week, 179 the second week. So you take five off 179, you get to 174. Yeah. It's still 25 pence up for it was the week before. Oh, well, absolutely. And, and, I'm, and I'm fairly sure, Mike, let's not be too naive about this, but there's some of the uh, the four courts are taking full advantage of this. They're profiteering. profiteering. And I was glad, really, to sign a letter last week with, uh, with Rob Alfred MP to the Chancellor to not only cut fuel duty, but to look at a, a pump watch scheme mm. where, you know, different suppliers of, of petrol and diesel on the forecourts can be scrutinised to see how much they're charging. Because like you say, I've been from one station to another. There's a 20 pence a litre difference, you know, in diesel. That's, that's, that's criminal. These people need to hold into account. Absolutely right. And as far as the, um, uh, the the future is concerned, you know, we need to get to grips with it, obviously. Uh, the war in Ukraine is clearly occupying everybody's minds at the moment. But, I mean, are you confident that this government is somehow working on an energy strategy for the future, whether or not it's fracking, whether or not uh, it's, it's, it's taxing the, 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 the uh, renewable companies more, whether it's not giving out the subsidy? Because I'm a great supporter of getting rid of that green subsidy, 20% of yeah. every, every fuel bill immediately, you know. Um, what's actually, do you think, being discussed in Downing Street? Well, I think, you know, the, the letter we sent, with which uh, Rob Alphonse sent, I think there's about 60 MPs signed that. And there was a definite change in tone in the chamber last week when I raised the urgent question on fracking. You know, just a few weeks ago, it was totally off the table. Now the ministers and the department are making different noises. I think the, the situation in Ukraine and Russia is forcing our hand a bit. So some, some good might come out of this, might that we actually, you know, take a long look at ourselves mm. in the mirror and think, you know what, in this great country of ours, We've got an abundance of gas under our feet. 
and it's absolute madness yeah. that we should be importing it from all around the world yeah. to, to heat our rooms and paint through the nose for it. Let's get it out mm. and let's keep our old people warm this winter. Absolutely. And let's look at the world that way as well. Let's not be so dependent on China for, for consumer goods. Let's not be so dependent on uh, other countries for energy. Let's not be so dependent on other countries for manufacturing. You know, there's lots we could be doing here. You know, it could be a thriving economy. It was becoming a thriving economy, you know, until the energy crisis hit. So, I mean, I think it needs Britain needs to make more of its own stuff, in other words. I think you're absolutely right, Mark. We're a great country, you know, and manufacturing and making things and getting our hands dirty is in our DNA. It's what we've always done for the last three, four hundred years, possibly even longer. You know, we are the home of the Industrial Revolution. We should never forget that. And we and we can be part of the new Industrial Revolution, whether that's, you know, as part of the Green Journey or not. But, mm. you know, like I say, Mike, you know, this fuel in the ground in this country it's absolute madness to keep importing it and being held ransom, you know, by other countries. You know, we've seen the price of, of, of domestic fuel now; it's going through the roof. Let's get it out. And all these people that say it won't be any cheaper, I say absolute nonsense. It's basic economics. If you produce too much of a too much of a product, it immediately becomes cheaper. It's as simple as that. Exactly right. And the other big uh, bugbear of yours, uh, Lee, has always been the illegal migration of people yes. to this country from uh, France. Effectively, it's never been now more obvious that these people are not fleeing a war zone. People fleeing a war zone look like the people coming from Ukraine. They're women, they're yeah. children, uh, they're people who need uh, you know, safe haven and they need help to, to come to a country like Britain where they won't be killed by an invading yeah. army. These other bozos who are coming on the dinghies, you know, they're still coming. Nobody's stopping them. Yeah, I mean, this has been my point. You know, I've been banging on um, in the House since I got elected, Mike, about, you know, genuine refugees fleeing war-torn countries and the, le- and the left, the liberal left, have always argued against that. Yeah. But now we're seeing it actually live on TV, who these genuine uh, refugees are that's fleeing a war-torn country. And they're the women and children of Ukraine who deserve refuge. Meanwhile, like yeah. you say, in France, we've got strapping young men of a certain age who's never seen a war in their life, probably. And they're just economic migrants. They want to come here for a better life. I mean, I don't blame them for wanting a better life. I'd do it myself. But... You know, the left uh, somehow still think that these people are genuine refugees, and they're not. And I say, and I've always said it, as soon as they land on our shores, give them a sandwich, a cup of tea, and send them straight back to France. Yeah. I mean, how many um, how many times are we going to give old Pretty Patel a pass, though, when she says, oh, we're going to well, fix it, we've we're going to fix it soon? Well, we've got the Nationality and Borders Bill returning to the chamber today, and I know there's several amendments been, uh, been put on there, and some of my own colleagues actually are arguing against offshore processing i say bring it on i want to see offshore processing and my preferred destination for offshore processing is the falkland isles yes good idea send a few boatloads down to the falkland islands and then within a week take a while to get there on a dinghy Eh? Yeah, they, well, they won't be a dinghy from the from the Falklands, will they? They might end up in Argentina. Well, that's, that's true. Teach them. Uh, well, that will teach them, absolutely right. Now, finally, let's talk a bit about your good friends in the Labour Party, right? Aside from the fact they can't seem to work out what a woman is, uh, they also now seem to, uh, seemingly have decided it's a good idea to start backing the unions in the P&O story. You know, they haven't been on the side of the working man and woman for decades, and now suddenly yeah. they're trying to cling on to some kind of vain hope that they'll get votes if they try and keep these jobs. Well, it's incredible, really, isn't it, Mike? You've got Captain Hindsight, or the Ken Barlow of British politics, absolutely boring at the dispatch box. Don't spit your water out, by the way, that's rude. That was very, very badly timed, that. (laughs) Isn't it ironic that, you know, a party that supported supported importing cheap foreign labour to undercut the great British worker are now suddenly up in arms 
that cheap foreign labour are uncutting, undercutting British labour. Yeah. It's incredible. Amazing, yeah, it's horrible it? what's happened at PNO. But the Labour Party needs to take a long, hard look at themselves. They should hang their heads in shame because they've supported this kind of kind of behaviour in the past. Right. And what are you hearing when you go and talk to people around uh, where you are in your constituency? Because the May local elections are not that far away now. Um, yeah. We were told when Boris Johnson was suffering at the hands of Partygate and all those accusations that he should resign. You know, what the hell was he doing having parties when other people couldn't see their relatives and their loved ones and all of that? You know, he has, as I said, come back a bit from that. But there are still plenty of people who think he's going to get a caning uh, in that election. Yeah, I mean, there's a, lot, there's a lot of political experts out there, Mike, at the moment, who always seem to be calling what the results of elections are going to be. And, and generally, it's, it's the it's the left-wing press and media. Uh, and, you know, for the last 10 years, they've got it wrong. Um, and I think they're probably going to get it wrong this time. Yes, people are angry, and rightly so, about the cost of living crisis. Yes, they was angry over Partygate, rightly so. But at the end of the day, you know, there's, there's, there's bigger things to worry about at the moment, I think, in, in Eastern Europe, what's going on there. I mean, that's that's heartbreaking to see the scenes every day. So I think sometimes people, and especially people like me, you know, take stock of things and think, you know what, there's some nasty and horrible things going on in this mm. world. Yes, things aren't perfect back at home. And it's, 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 it's our job and people like me to make sure that we put more money in people's pockets. But, you know, let's just take stock uh, and let's realise this still is a great country we live in, Mike. Oh, totally, yeah. Listen, totally. And I was definitely one of those people who thought that that, uh, Boris Johnson had overstepped the mark, that he shouldn't have had all those parties, that he shouldn't have been profligate with the the, the company money, as it were. He shouldn't have uh, pretended he didn't know what was going on. All of that. But now I'm looking at it thinking, why on earth is the Metropolitan Police now hiring even more people to look into this thing? I mean, do you think they were trying to investigate the origins of man or something or, you know, find the God particle in the Hadron Collider? You know, it's a straightforward investigation, isn't it? Why yeah. the hell is it taking so long? Uh, it is like a soap opera, Mark, isn't it, to be honest? I mean, they've sent the forms out, the questionnaires. Um, I've not had one, by the way, but get your questionnaires filled out, send them back to the police and make a decision. It's dragging on for far too long. You know, we've got better things to worry about at the moment, yeah. like, like I said, like the war in Ukraine and the cost of living crisis. And, and quite frankly, Mike, people are sick to death reading about Partygate now. That's just cracked on. Yeah. I mean, you don't strike me as a wine and cheese guy, to be honest, Lee. No, well, I'm not. I mean, uh, it's, it's, it's a pint of bitter and a bag of pork scratchings in my local. You look like a pork pie, man, uh, to be honest. Listen, Mike, I'm a man of uh, many, many talents and many tastes. I mean, it depends on who, I, who I'm with and where I am. But I, I, I'm happily happy with the pork scratchings as I am with a bit of Stilton and, uh, and uh, Chianti. But you, to be honest, Mark, you look like you've lost a few pounds since last time I saw you. I have. Just... Well, I'm in, tra- I'm in training, you see. Um, I'm hoping to, to, to sign up for the new, uh, the new wave of uh, how we're going to run the country. So I need to be uh, fighting fit. Well, you definitely look fighting fit, Mark. You, you look a shadow of the, the man I saw last time. Two months. <laughs> I tell you what, it, it's not 10 years off yet. Thank, oh, well, thank you very much indeed. The makeup helps as well, to be honest, Lee. But listen, <laughs> great to see you. Uh, we'll have to catch up and have uh, one of those uh, pork pies and, and a pint at some point very soon. Lee Anderson, a great man, Conservative MP for Ashfield. Now, wouldn't it be fantastic if every MP spoke his mind like Lee Anderson? Imagine trying to get a Labour Party MP to even say, what do you think a woman is? They couldn't tell you. Lee tells you exactly what it is, exactly why it is. Some people don't like that, but I do. This is Talk Radio. Fashion Talk. Happy Talk. Honest Talk. Trisha Talk. Talk Radio. The Week with Trisha Goddard. Saturday afternoon from 1 on Talk Radio. 
The original Queen of Talk is on Talk Radio. It's the pick of the week packed into one unmissable Saturday talk show. The Week with Trisha. Get on the guest list with the legendary Trisha Goddard. Sounding good, looking even better. The Week with Trisha Goddard. Saturday afternoons, sorted with Trisha. Bunch up, there's room on the couch for two. It's you. The Week with Trisha. Saturday afternoon from one on Talk Radio. The home of common sense. Talk Radio. Half hour headlines. Good morning, I'm Rob Malarkey. Any use of chemical or biological weapons by Russian forces in Ukraine would undoubtedly be a war crime. A UK government minister has told us the small business minister Paul Scully was speaking in response to US President Joe Biden's accusation that Russia is preparing new so-called false flags to employ more lethal tactics. Speaking to Talk Radio, Mr. C- Mr. Scully says the UK has adopted a robust approach to the use of chemical weapons. We've got to be really careful as to how we would approach any situation like that because the last thing we want to be doing is escalating the conflict to a wider um, war, frankly. So it's, it's important that we tread carefully, but that does not mean rowing back against our disgust of the use of uh, chemical uh, weapons. Ukraine's Deputy Prime Minister has said that evacuation attempts will focus on those trapped inside the besieged port of Mariupol. Much of the city has been completely destroyed and those left are completely cut off from food, water and electricity. 3,000 people managed to leave Mariupol yesterday, but 17 staff working for the Halo Trust are trapped in the city. The charity's CEO, James Cowan, says the situation is desperate. The account is, is long and harrowing and it is of extreme suffering, old people dying in their basements of lack of food, even of people attempting to reach water at wells outside their dwellings um, being killed by shells, comparable to the very worst accounts of the Second World War. A man's been charged with the murder of a 19-year-old woman whose body was found at student accommodation in central London last Saturday. Sabita Hamwani died from serious neck injuries. 22-year-old Maher Marouf is also accused of assaulting an emergency worker. The terror threat level in Northern Ireland has been lowered from severe to substantial for the first time in 12 years. Secretary of State Brandon Lewis said it reflects the significant progress that Northern Ireland has made towards a more peaceful and safer society. And journalist Chris Mullin will not have to discuss source material dating back to his investigation into the 1974 Birmingham pub bombings after a legal battle uh, from West Midlands Police. Mr Mullins said the protection of sources is fundamental to a free press and said his actions were overwhelmingly in the public interest. Most of the UK will have a sunny and largely dry afternoon. Some isolated showers will develop, but it will be warm for the rest of the day. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Listen on DAB+. Watch it live on your smart TV. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio, also available on television as well. You know what to do. You can watch us on Apple uh, TV. You can watch us on YouTube. You can watch us on Rakuten, on Roku, on Samsung TV+. Plus. You can also, of course, watch us on anything you want, anything you can get your hands on. You can watch us on an iPad. You can watch us on a TV. Watch us on a watch, if you so wish. Uh, go to the App Store, download Talk Radio TV app, or go to talkradio.tv, uh, and you can watch us all the way through the day. Of course, we've got Ian Collins coming up at 1. We've got Jeremy Carl from 4. 
before Kevin O'Sullivan from 7. He's on the show coming up a bit later on. And also, of course, uh, James Well from 10, all the way around uh, to Julie Hartley Brewer and James Max in the morning. Right now, though, let's talk to John Rental, Chief Political Commentator at The Independent. Feels like an age, John, since we last spoke. <laughs> Good morning, Mike. It is. Good. Um, you've been distracted by... Uh war in Europe, which yes, is understandable. which is understandable, as has indeed pretty much everybody else, I suppose. Uh, but today, uh, we wanted to talk to you not just about that, but also about uh, Ian Duncan-Smith, who's uh, come out and said that he thinks it's ludicrous that Partygate and the investigation into Partygate is still going on. And it does seem a bit daft now, doesn't it, that they've hired more people, they still haven't got to the bottom of it, they still don't seem to know when any report is going to come out from Sue Gray. I mean, what are they doing? Yeah, well, I don't know if uh, Ian Duncan Smith is suggesting that police should just uh, drop the investigation because of war on. Uh, that doesn't uh, that doesn't sound like a good idea to me. Um, <clears throat> you know, I mean, I think you know, I personally, because I I haven't had any uh, anybody I know who died of coronavirus. I wasn't. I didn't have to make any great sacrifices during the pandemic. I didn't. You know, I wasn't uh, prevented from from going to the bedside of uh, of, of a beloved. Uh, relative or, uh, or anything anything like that so I was very lucky but I understand that you know a lot of people did feel that they they made huge sacrifices and they do still feel strongly about it yeah. I mean obviously you know there are important things going on else, elsewhere in the world but I think it is important to get to the bottom of this and to and to, and to have justice seen to be done yeah, I don't, I don't disagree with that at all. And I, and I certainly wouldn't advocate dropping it. I was one of those calling for Boris Johnson to resign uh, back in the time when it yeah, seemed like quite a you, serious thing. You like calling for, for the Prime Minister to resign, whoever it is, Mark. That's not true. Which other Prime Minister <laughs> have I called for to resign, apart from Theresa May and Boris Johnson <laughs> and David Cameron? <laughs> and David Cameron. I mean, come and on. Before that, before that, Gordon Brown, and before that, Tony Blair. Yeah, yeah, and in each case, I was actually right, was I not, John? Because whatever came afterwards was better than what left the door before. Well, yeah, you know, I mean, you're obviously right in that all political careers end in, end in fate. Exactly. But anyway, but anyway <laughs> right, no, but I mean, what I can't see is the justification, and particularly today when we see uh, some news out about the number of deaths from stabbings in London, the Metropolitan Police problems in all manner of areas when it comes to recruitment difficulties, when it comes to discipline, when it comes to breaches of, of the law even, uh, yeah. crimes committed by acting police officers, you know, you say, well, really, do you need more than 100 people looking at this? And how much time does it take to ask a, a simple question? Well, exactly. I mean, what was interesting about this statement yesterday was the implication, uh, and I don't know if this is right, but the implication that having received back all these questionnaires, uh, the police don't feel that they've actually uh, reached the threshold for, uh, for, for, for a breach of the criminal law. Um, uh, because they say they haven't yet uh, notified the Criminal Records Office, mm. uh, which is the, uh, I, I think this is the bureaucratic way in which penalty notices are actually issued. Yeah. They haven't actually reached that point yet. So they need to carry out further investigations. I mean, and, and, and at that point, you know, I do start to have some sympathy with Ian Duncan Smith. I think, you know, you either do it quickly, yeah. uh, get it out of the way, or you uh, or, or you stop wasting uh, wasting public money and police time. But exactly right. Because the end question has to, th has to then be, why is it taking this much time? Why are you being so careful? Why uh, are you doing something that you wouldn't do in any other situation? Because like most people, I've had the odd penalty charge notice in my time, as I'm sure you have, possibly, although they don't 
don't give him for riding through red lights on bicycles. I know that. Um, but I mean, you know, you get it and you get two weeks. I've never received a penalty notice, Mike. <laughs> well, that's as I say, because they don't give them to people going through red lights on bicycles. They should. I'm, but, I'm not going, I'm not going to say anything about going through red lights on bicycles. Of course you're not. No, I'll, you can plead the fifth. But the point is this, you know, you get two weeks to pay it or it doubles uh, or whatever. You know, you they don't, well, mess, and it, they don't and mess around. Yes, and they issue them more or less overnight yeah. I mean, during the, you know, all those students who uh, who had who had parties, um, probably got their penalty notices within a within a few days. Yeah. Uh, so it is. You're you're quite right. I, it it does seem to be that the police are treating uh, these uh, these allegations with much more care and seriousness, and, and trying to take advice from, uh, from 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 all and sundry. No, no doubt there are lawyers all over it. Mm. Uh, in which case, it does start to feel like a a, a, a huge waste of, uh, of public money and police time. Yeah. I mean, I suppose the overarching thinking now between uh, you and I and, and, and in Westminster, inside the bubble, as it were, is that Boris has dodged another kind of, you know, potentially career-ending situation, um, and he's around for the foreseeable. However, uh, the, we're not that far away from the May elections. What's How do you see it um, in terms of, you know, maybe a month ago, you and I were saying that Tories are going to get hammering in the, in the local elections. I still think it's not going to be great for them. It's not going to be great, but I think they'll do all right. Actually, uh, they're not uh, they're not so far behind in the in the national opinion polls uh, that they need to worry. I mean, I think they'll do badly in London, which is which is uh, very much a a remain no surprise there. Yeah, city. Uh, they will lose Wandsworth and possibly uh, possibly Westminster and Barnet mm. as well, which will uh, which will be presented by Labour as huge uh, huge gains. But I'm not sure how much that will mean to. To people in in the red wall, uh, and I think in the Midlands and the North, I think the Conservative vote will probably hold up, and they'll do reasonably well. Mm. I mean, I remember when uh, Kenneth Baker was uh, Tory Party Chairman in 1990, yes, uh, and we were all talking about Margaret Thatcher being under pressure because of the poll tax, uh, and uh, the Tories managed to hold on to Wandsworth and Westminster and presented it as a great triumph, and that was that was the end of that chat. Mm. But she was gone within six months after yes. that, so maybe warning there for Boris. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. I mean, but presumably what we're told is inside the party itself, a lot of those who put letters in calling for uh, Boris to resign have now withdrawn those letters. So you'd probably have to yeah. start the process all over again. And, and as you say, if, if it turns out that it's an, a, a sort of an OK result, then and he's not going to be too bothered. 
No, but I mean, I think uh, I don't think that means he's uh, out of trouble because yeah. uh, I've spoken to quite a few of those uh, those MPs. I mean, they're slightly embarrassed, obviously, in that they you know they they assumed you know at the time they were calling for for Boris Johnson to go, they assumed that was about to happen quite uh, quite imminently mm. that they would then be on back on the ministerial ladder or whatever uh, whatever they were hoping to get out of it. Um, but uh, no, I think that the crucial thing is, is public opinion. And, you know, from what I hear in focus groups, uh, these lockdown parties still come up and people still feel extremely angry about them. Mm. I'm not saying most people feel like that, but I think there is a significant chunk of the population uh, that has turned against Boris Johnson and will not turn back to him. No, and I, I think, think that's that, right. I think that poses the Tories with a serious problem going into the next general election. It does. And how helpful or otherwise will Rishi Sunak be tomorrow when he makes his uh, budget statement? Because Well, how that... helpful will Rishi Sunak be to his leadership ambitions? I think he will probably do extremely well. Uh, but I think there is a sort of feeling in Westminster that he missed his moment. Um, but I mean, I don't think I don't think there was a moment really when he could have resigned over uh, Partygate no. uh, and uh, and taken the leadership. I don't think I don't think things fell quite right for him. But I still think he is the leading candidate um, to take over from Boris Johnson if the Tory party does the sensible thing before the next general election and uh, changes mm. leader. Yeah. I mean, I suppose my question was more about how helpful will he be to Boris Johnson, i.e. will he cut <laughs> things rather than add things on? Uh, will he keep the uh, the fuel tax as it is or will he reduce it? Will he indeed add in this um, 1.25 national insurance um, up, uh, upscaling in order to pay for the NHS? You know, all the things that we're hearing about and reading about, it's difficult to know at the moment. Yeah. No, I mean, I think he's going. he's got a very difficult balancing act. Uh, tomorrow, but I think he will. I, I think the national insurance tax rise will go ahead, uh, but I think he'll probably soften it by uh, by raising the thresholds at the at the bottom end. Mm. And I think that might uh, that might uh, impress some people. But I mean, you know, most people will think that doesn't go that doesn't go far enough, and they want more more money from the magic money tree to uh, protect them from uh, from the energy price rise. Yeah, I suppose the magic money tree didn't blow over in that last storm we had because, to be honest. It's- <laughs> There's so much on it that you can take off. You know, there seems to be never-ending supplies of magic money. <laughs> well, Rishi, but Rishi Sunak's argument is he's already been to the money tree and taken four hundred billion pounds off it, yeah. and, uh, and that you know he needs to start restoring some order into the public uh, finances. So that that is the, the balancing act that he's got to got to pull off. Uh, I'm not sure how successful he will be in in, in persuading people. But uh, I don't think that anybody else could do a better job. No. No, I think that's definitely where we are. John, good to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed. John Rental, Chief Political Commentator at The Independent. Sometimes it does come down to that, doesn't it? You know, Christopher Dick is still in her job running the Metropolitan Police despite an uptick in the number of children, and I say children deliberately, being stabbed to death in the past year, right? Meanwhile, there's over 100 people working for the Metropolitan Police investigating Boris Johnson's parties and the parties inside of Downing Street, all of which was important uh, some time ago, less important now, but needs to be drawn to a close. We've also, of course, got the Chancellor of the Exchequer, Rishi Sunak. We'll bring you that live tomorrow after Prime Minister's questions in the company, of course, of Peter Cardwell, our political editor. Will he do what he is possibly hinting at doing, which is to give people a bit of a break? John Rental says he might rise uh, up the uh, the ladders and change the way that income tax is applied, change the way that national insurance is applied so that more people get uh, lifted out of it, as it were. Uh, is he also going to reduce fuel tax? All of those things that we sent him yesterday, all of the messages that you sent him, 
name. We can still keep doing that today. So do keep calling us and telling us 0344 499 1000. Angela says this regarding Partygate, I just think of the Queen sat on her own at Philip's funeral, but the police need to sort this so everyone can move on. How difficult is it? Well, perfectly well put, Angela. How difficult can it be? Go into Downing Street, find out when the parties were, find out who was there, find them, get out. That's it. This is Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. There's lots to talk about uh, militarily. There's lots to talk about diplomatically, of course, as well. There's also lots to talk about with Rishi Sunak and the big, the big uh, budget statement tomorrow, the spring statement, Wednesday, 12.30, right after Prime Minister's questions, which will be curtailed, of course. We'll bring you all of that live, as indeed we always do every single Wednesday. Boris Johnson versus Keir Starmer first. Then Rishi Sunak. Will he or won't he cut fuel tax? Will he or won't he? He raised the national insurance uh, protocol to 1.25% by 1.25%. Will he raise the tax levies uh, so that people can be moved out of the uh, lower way, uh, lower uh, levels of tax so that you, you basically earn more money before you start paying any tax at all? What will he do for us and what do you want him to do for us? This is the place to get the message to Richard Sunak, the Chancellor of the Exchequer. 0344 499 1000 is the number. Lots and lots of you uh, have been in touch about the possibility of a roadshow. How about this from Ashton, who says, if you're doing the Independent Republic on the road and you need somewhere to pitch the tent, give us a shout. Free of charge, I'll barbecue and stock up the fridge with beer. Sounds like a plan. We are getting to that kind of spring weather, aren't we? It is going to be absolutely fantastic. Jamie Jenkins coming up in this hour, independent statistician, commentator, of course. Uh, He's going to be telling us about the latest excess deaths figures that came out this morning, very morning at 9.30. So we're right up to date. Also, uh, we'll be talking to him about the COVID statistics that came out over the weekend. Is it not possible that we were right all along and that the numbers of people who were said to be dying of COVID were exaggerated beyond compare, possibly by as much as a factor of 10? And what about this new inquiry that's going to be had without taking any account of the effect on children? Absolute madness. Kevin O'Sullivan here as well. We'll find out from him what he thinks about regional accents and, of course, the woke police, who apparently now gets uh, car sick in the back of uh, police cars when they go too fast. I'm not joking. Uh, this is the Independent Republican Mike Graham. This is Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Let us say a very warm welcome to Jamie Jenkins. Without further ado, Jamie, how are you doing? Good morning, Mike. Uh, the sun is shining. I think, yeah, if you're coming on the road, come over to Wales as well. It'd be good to... Well, I don't know if, if your man Drakeford will let us in without some kind of fee. You know, it might be some kind of, you know, a carrying fee or something. Well, I've, I've been reading this morning that the Welsh Government are refusing to um, rule out keeping some of the restrictions in this Friday. They were supposed to be coming to an end, but I think Sturgeon's keeping some of the masks in. So Mark Drakeford's bound to continue with something, Mike. He, no likes, he likes the restrictions, doesn't he, old Drakeford? I mean, he can't be, he can't be uh, having his government run without it. No, and yesterday he was saying that the, he'd welcome a Ukrainian refugee into his home as well. And, uh, you know, obviously it's tragic. Haven't they suffered people. enough, as they say? Well, yeah, and Nicola Sturgeon said the same in 2015 with the Syrian refugees, but I don't think she ever did the house of Syrian refugees. It's probably just some kind of virtue signalling oh, from, yeah. uh, from yeah. the minister. Absolutely right. Now, um, there's lots to talk about today, Jamie. So let's so we kick off with the, uh, the, the the excess death stats that came out fresh this morning, 9.30. Tell us what they said. Yeah, so excess deaths, just for the for the viewers and listeners, just to explain what they are, is that, you know, mortality doesn't generally change much year to year. We get improvements over the long period of time. So what you do, Mike, is you look at how many deaths occur in the population and then you can compare to, say, an average over the years previously. And, and we've known we've seen this big excess deaths because of COVID in those 
big waves that we had in March and then last winter. But what the ONS have done um, this morning, they published looking at a lot of the excess deaths that were not COVID related. So we know that people have been dying of COVID, but there's other causes of death. And we've talked about it in the show and some really sad, tragic numbers in there, Mike, because if you start looking at, say, younger people aged one to 19, then they've published and looked at it. We talk in small numbers now because remember, people generally don't die in, in their one to 19 as yes. well, that's, that's which is thing. But the, the most common causes of excess deaths, tragically, was um, excess suicides, mm. um, accidental poisoning. Sometimes that's where you can't determine if it was a suicide or not, and somebody may have poisoned themselves yes. purposely or not. So you, the intent is unsure. And homicides, where you know we could be talking about kind of murders that have been going on, and, and then they're about twenty six above average, which depending on the different causes, about twelve to twenty odd percent above average, which which is just tragic, Mike, when you start looking at the impact of obviously all these different lockdowns. And we talk about COVID and the impact on young people generally being low in terms of death, but we've seen these excess deaths. And if you look at older people, Mike, uh, about 50 to 79 year olds, we've seen excess deaths from heart disease. And that might be because they haven't come forward for healthcare over the pandemic. So some tragic stories out there, Mike. And I think in the fullness of time, we're probably going to continue to see these because cancer waiting times in the NHS have gone through the roof and they're the worst on record. Absolutely. And as far as the way that um, uh, all of these figures have been collated over time, we're seeing more and more studies, aren't we, Jamie, that say, actually, maybe there were a few uh, flaws in the way that some of these statistics were collected, not just excess deaths, but not just um, COVID related, but everything really. Yeah. So if you start looking at the death figures overall, I think the, the biggest things to point out, Mike, is we started publishing every day the, the number of deaths within 28 days of a positive test at the start of the pandemic. We weren't testing many people. So it was actually an undercount, that figure. But as we've gone over time and you start looking, say, through the Omicron wave now, Mike, so many people have it. You know, if you tested positive um, in the last month and then you get hit by a bus, you'd be included in those figures. And we can clearly see that they're not fit for purpose at the moment. If you start looking at the figures with death certificates, Mike, um, we're about 185,000 overall. Now, I think some of the critics, which is in a Daily Mail article on the weekend, were saying that, some of the appointments were being done over kind of video conference. So there may have been some mislabeling of some of the deaths, but you can take all of that out and start looking at the excess deaths. And um, they're currently running at around 147,000. They will include some of those deaths that we just talked about, Mike, um, which are non-COVID excess as well. But it's quite clear there has been a huge number of COVID deaths over the pandemic. It may not be as high as 185,000. It may be lower I think than it's definitely not. So, it's definitely yeah, it not 185,000, is it? I think we can no, say that. And, yeah, and if you take the excess deaths of 147,000, Mike, and take some off for some of the other causes, you know, it's probably not going to be as high as what the the, the actual figures have been reported. Um, and, and and ultimately, I think that the important thing really is we move forward, Mike. The inquiry we look into a bit more detail on that. Um, the excess deaths at the moment are below average and they have been for the last couple of months so we're actually in a good position when it comes to the, the covid situation across the country yes i think that's absolutely right and you know as far as the inquiry goes that's coming up you know we're we would like to think that there will be some proper questions asked and there will be some proper analysis done but unfortunately it doesn't begin to look like that does it they're talking about not even taking into account the effect that the lockdowns may have had on children we've already got people now admitting who didn't admit it before that we were right all along when we said this is terribly damaging to kids not letting them go to school making them wear masks when they do go back making them scared of infecting their elderly relatives with covid and letting them die i mean it was horrendous 
Yeah, well, Nadim Zahawi was coming out the other day saying you don't need an inquiry to say it was a mistake for stopping children going to school. Mark Drakeford in Wales won't have a Welsh-specific inquiry, even though he's kind of explained how important it is for the Welsh Government to run COVID policies in Wales. And I think, you know, the inquiry, why is it taking so long to start as well, Mike? You know, and are we going to get the, the Met Police doing the inquiry? Because it might take about 10 years to get the actual uh, results of it when you start looking at it all. So, so I think an inquiry is badly needed because we may have another pandemic in the next um, kind of few years or not. Who knows? It's unlikely, Mike, because there seems to be a one in a hundred year event. But we've got to learn the lessons and we can't go into this knee jerk reaction of just following every other country into lockdowns and doing the same mistakes over and over again. Yeah. You work out what worked well and what didn't. But that's the thing, isn't it? People say, oh, but when we were making these restrictions possible and when we were making it safer for people to live and safeguarding lives and safeguarding the NHS, we were only doing what every other country was doing. But the one thing we were not doing, like every other country, was, was was counting because every other country counted their deaths differently and we ended up becoming the pariah of Europe at one point I seem to remember because Boris Johnson insisted on telling everybody how many people were dying every day well the, 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 that was in part to do with those Covid deaths within 28 days of the test and remember Mike people were talking about Covid cases in the UK at record levels because we were testing far more than, than most of Europe and again that's had a damaging effect on the economy because few people were, were coming in. It's good to see that you know, we're removing a lot of these restrictions across the country and England's obviously got rid of them all. And, and we've got to move forward now, Mike, to try and get the economy. Because we've gone from a COVID crisis into a cost of living crisis and we can touch on kind of the economic factors at the moment ahead of, of the budget tomorrow. And I think that the thing is, Mike, the NHS really does need to start coming back and getting back to work properly because even in the latest figures Mike I know there's a lot of pressure from the health secretary back end of last year for face-to-face -face appointments but GP appointments is still well down in terms of face-to-face -face appointments they're currently 60 percent in January you know it was over 80 odd percent in before the pandemic and and why aren't people still not able to see a GP face-to-face -face? And, and and almost cancer figures I give you Mike mm. if people do get a referral the target is to get 93% of the people would need an urgent referral because they're, they're suspected of cancer, 93% uh, within two weeks. And the latest figures, it was 75%, you know. So people, even if they are getting to see somebody, they're not getting to see somebody after that to get that urgent look in terms of have you got mm. cancer or not. No. I know still plenty of parts of the NHS that are not back to normal. I mean, we hear this all the time. You know, I got a tweet today from a friend, uh, from somebody on Twitter, rather, saying that his son and daughter are being forced to pay £30, both working in the NHS, being forced to pay £30 for parking every day because apparently the charges are now being passed on to the workers. Now, that, you can say, is nothing to do with the NHS, but it is to do with the NHS because they, they allow these private parking companies to come in and run hospital car parks. Well, yeah, and that's generally a pay cut then, isn't it, for, for the NHS yeah. who are having to do that. I know there's been a lot of discussion around parking, and I think my partner works in the NHS, Mike. She's had to pay for parking in the past. I think they've scrapped all the fees now in Wales for, for some no, of the I think they parks, did that but... in Scotland as well, but unfortunately they didn't do it in England. But the bottom line is, is that they're still hiring loads of people uh, with money that they say they haven't got to do jobs that are not required. No, and, and managers as well, Mike, we've talked about this in the past, the, the, the layers of management in the NHS, you know, it does need that overhaul, it does need to look at in terms of what it's doing, because 
you know, the money is not, not a bottomless pit of money. If you start looking at the finances, the public finances, Mike, they're absolutely all over the place. And the Chancellor is going to have to find a few rabbits in the hat tomorrow for all these poor families out there who are going to be struggling over the next kind of five to ten years. But that is exactly the point, isn't it? Because it's almost impossible to make a spring budget statement that makes any sense, given what we don't know. No, I think an important figure, Mike, actually, is we talk about the national insurance rise that's going to come in in April is going to raise about £12 billion a year. Now, in a, in February alone, we spent £8.2 billion on the debt interest for this country. So we've got this massive, massive debt that we've accumulated over the last few centuries. Obviously, COVID has added a lot to that. And we spent £67 billion on the national debt just servicing the interest payments since last April. And and the borrowing in February alone was another 13 billion. So we're, the money that he's talking about raising to go towards the NHS throughout the whole of the year, the 12 billion pounds from the, you know, the national insurance increase, well, we spent that, uh, in, you know, practically in, in one month, Mike. So I think the important thing really is, is just looking at, not just at the headline macroeconomic figures, I've been crunching some of the numbers, Mike. If you start looking at, housing costs, food, transport, all of that. The lowest people with the lowest incomes in this country spend 52% of their incomes on those things. And those are the things that are going way out of control. Mm. The top 10% spend 39%. So obviously they've got, they spend probably a little bit more because they've got bigger houses, but disproportionately this kind of fuel crisis and energy crisis is hitting the poorest families. And, and it's, something's got to give, Mike, something's got to give. Well, it does have to, doesn't it? And this is why, I mean, 5% or 5p off a litre of uh, petrol is not really going to cut it. Um, it doesn't sound as though the noises coming out of Downing Street are that he's going to not put this um, uh, national insurance rate up. But what he might do, according to John Rental, who I was talking to earlier, uh, is he might change the, the thresholds for tax in a way so that at least some of those people on poor, lower incomes won't be paying more in national insurance until they reach a certain level. And, and that would be helpful, Mike. But again, what it does is if you, if you start cutting taxes, we do need to look at that, you know the, the whole financial balance sheet overall. We kind of kicked it down the long grass because of COVID and we're probably going to have to do the same. But at some point in time, there comes that position where it's going to bite and we're going to have to kind of look at, because if you think 67 billion since last April on just paying off the debt, that's dead money really, Mike. That's just going to people. And what's causing the inflation that we're seeing at the moment is is making those kind of interest payments go up because a lot of the government borrowing, Mike, is linked to inflation. So when inflation's quite high, we start paying even more to the people we've been borrowing money off. So it's a bit of a, a catch-22 situation because, mm. you you know, the debt starts going up, so then we need to borrow more money and then that goes up even more. Yeah, absolutely right. Stay with us, Jamie. Got a couple of things to talk to you about from the other side of the Atlantic. The CDC uh, in particular, uh, they've adjusted their COVID-19 deaths as well. Uh, we'll find out what that's all about. We're talking to Jamie Jenkins, of course. He is our favourite statistician. Uh, we'll take your calls, of course, as well. 0344 thousand rishi sunak making a massive announcement this week it could make you richer it could make you poorer whatever happens though you might want to hear it right here on talk radio talk radio rev it up roar it out the voice of the people the home of common sense solid state human debate on a digital platform radio that stands to reason listen and learn talk radio
Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. We are going to be talking to Kevin O'Sullivan coming up in a little while. He's on tonight from 7, of course. We've got a couple of things to sort out with him. Uh, Jamie Jenkins is also here. We're talking to him about the problem uh, with the numbers that were being counted during the pandemic, COVID deaths specifically. Uh, Jamie, I wanted to mention to you this story that's come out of the US today. Uh, The US Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC, uh, they apparently slashed their reported number of child COVID-19 deaths by nearly 25% without any proper explanation what's all that about yeah it's it's it's, it's bizarre mike they said it was a coding error apparently oh, and yeah. um it doesn't give you confidence obviously because they are they would be what you would class as the office for national statistics yes. in the uk so it's you know it's an important institution and child covid deaths are quite topical at the moment because obviously across the country we're starting to see letters landing for parents uh for vaccinations for five to eleven year olds and and not only of the kind of the figures there being kind of wrong because of the miscoding and then being written, uh, brought back down. If we look within our country, Mike, uh, a couple of months back, NHS England put a tweet out uh, from one of their doctors talking about some child COVID deaths. They had to delete the tweet because they were overinflating the number of numbers yeah. in there. Because of, and they read somebody's online blog where they got the numbers, I think. And and actually, they're far lower than what you would imagine. And and the thing is, I had a letter actually from the Welsh government uh, for my children, uh, five to 11 year olds to have the vaccine and, uh, you know, personal choice of the parents. They should. I think the JCVI statement is quite clear on this, Mike, that parents need in kind of informed consent as in to really understand the numbers. The letter didn't quote hardly any statistics in there, Mike, um, which was quite concerning to me, because how can you make an informed choice if you don't know? And the JCVI statement itself, which is uh, was released a couple of weeks back on this, said that you'd need to vaccinate 2 million children or 4 million doses to prevent one child. This is just one child, Mike, you know, 4 million doses mm. to prevent one child going into ICU. So it's, it's quite topical, the issue around, the, you know, the child COVID deaths. They are very rare. You know, even the JCVI statement themselves said mm. serious impact of COVID on children is pretty rare. And about 85% of the estimate would have had COVID by the end of January. And the JCVI said that will offer them some immunity. So I think parents out there, if they are getting these letters, really need to start looking at the facts and figures to make an informed decision. You know, I personally won't be vaccinating my children. But it's not for me to you know, obviously tell people what no. to do. Or- no, listen, that's always been my position as well. Listen, you do what you want. If you want to vaccinate your children, you know, ask them if they want to be vaccinated would be my suggestion. And if they do, um, then that's up to you. It's your your family. Um, but it's certainly not something I'm going to be advocating for my own family. But let's talk about the way that this is still being kind of kept going, if you like, because I still hear doctors, you know, who are on the face of it, uh, supposed to be representative representative of the medical profession, saying that, you know, oh, we've got this new Delta variant coming in, Delta Crom, they're calling it, you know, uh, it's not really very um, harmful compared to the original Delta, but it could still put lots of people in hospital and we must be careful that we don't overwhelm the NHS. I mean, if these people got no shame, they're, they're trotting out the same old cobblers that they trotted out the last time when things were a lot worse. Um, and I find it completely and utterly irresponsible. No, Mike, it's the same people who've been kind of scaring the public over the last two years. Now, the COVID figures are going up at the moment, but let me just explain kind of what's driving that. It's not really a surprise either, because I think when they were rolling out the booster vaccine uh, a few months back, even Chris Whitty, I think, and others were saying 
that the evidence suggests that it's only going to last about 10 to 12 weeks. Mm. And we're about 10 to 12 weeks on from that. And whilst the vaccines don't stop you catching COVID, it's quite clear. You've, I know more people with COVID now. They're not, and none of them are really ill, Mike, than, than ever, really. And But the COVID vaccine doesn't stop you catching. It does reduce it. So what we're seeing now is the vaccine's waning and more and more people are catching it. But the important thing is when you start looking in, in the headlines, and I've seen um, you know other broadcasters putting out some scare stories. I think Scotland's got the most number of people in hospital since the pandemic started. It's that... Yeah, but they don't tell you what the number is. They just say things like that and you go, well, I don't know yeah. what that means. Yeah, but the important thing is, Mike, these are patients with COVID, mm. not specifically being in hospital because of COVID. If mm. we look underneath the headline figures, because obviously everybody's getting tested, Mike. If everybody in the UK today had Omicron, then everybody in hospital would have Omicron, yeah. you know, but it doesn't necessarily mean they're in for it. Right. The figures right. that aren't moving at all are the number of patients in critical care. So it's not causing any more kind of deadliness in terms of it. And about 60% of the patients overall, Mike, who are going in the hospital are going in with other things, but they're just having to test positive or some of them are catching it in hospital when they're in there. So there's always going to be that element of people across the country because some people have made a kind of a kind of a living an industry out of scaring the public over the last two yeah. years. They don't want to let go, Mike. No, you know, I'd rather come on the show and start talking to you in the next few months over all you know the recovery and the economic facts of what's going on, rather than people doom glooming about yeah. COVID, COVID, COVID because it's not going anywhere. Mike, flu never went away when we got it a hundred years ago. Boris is right. We've got to learn to live with this mm. now. Crack on. Absolutely right. Crack on indeed, Jamie. We'll speak to you again soon, hopefully about the economy. Maybe after we've heard from Rishi Sunak tomorrow, of course, because he will be telling us uh, what he plans to do to make your life slightly more affordable. Because right now, it's not very affordable at all, is it? Uh, let's get some news headlines. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. We've heard this morning um, that Vladimir Putin's super yacht faces seizure. Uh, we've also heard um, that the UK defence attaché saying Russia's claims that it fired hypersonic missiles are Western Ukraine is probably an effort to detract from the lack of progress uh, on its ground campaign as well. Uh, also, we've been told very much unofficially and very much without any kind of verification at this time uh, that there is a bit of a rebellion uh, going on in the FSB, which is the, the, the formerly known as the KGB uh, in Moscow at the tactics of Vladimir Putin. Um, Chris, a very good afternoon to you. Welcome. Good afternoon. Um, as ever, it's a bit of a sort of a mopping up operation I want to do with you today, Chris, because obviously the fighting continues. Um, the uh, Ukrainian defence forces are still bravely sort of battling the uh, the onslaught from from Russia. What what can you tell us as as to where it all is today? I think you're right. The front lines are pretty much stalled at the moment. Uh, I think the objectives that Russia would like to go for at the moment, if they could, are to try and get into Kiev, obviously. Uh, but secondly, also uh, try and invest Odessa in the south. I think they've had a number of setbacks, which mean that they're really taking a deep breath before they undertake both those operations. So what they're resorting to, I think you've heard earlier on today, is long range strikes with crews and ballistic missiles and also artillery. Uh, they're doing what Tastas said the Romans used to do. They're creating a desolation and trying to call it peace. Um, but I think they're going nowhere fast at the moment. And I think with regard to what's going on in Moscow, I think we've underestimated actually the considerable factional fighting that has gone on before the invasion mm. and continues to go on amongst the upper echelons of uh, Putin and his uh, entourage. Uh, anybody who's seen The Death of Stalin, the very good film on 
you know, that happened at uh, when Stalin died, I think is probably very familiar with the sort of things that are going on and being said and the maneuverings and this, that and the other. Yeah. And we have to accept also that many people around Putin are thinking this is a succession crisis as well. Yes. Uh, because if he gets discredited as a result of Ukraine, I should think his days are numbered. Well, he's been in charge for an awfully long time, which is partly the problem, isn't it? Because he doesn't really have what you might regard as a cabinet around him who disagree with anything he wants to do or, or advise him against it. They just all kind of go along. Well, that is the Russian style, I'm afraid, Mike, since uh, the, the revolution in 1917. Uh, people don't tend to argue with the, the czar or the boss. Mm. Uh, otherwise, you know, it's worse for them. Right. I, th I think the real problem is we, we do have a real problem at the top of the Russian government right now. Uh, I think people are all looking to see, you know, where their future interests lie. They don't want to be associated with failure in re Ukraine. We've got Putin himself doubling down every time um, he, he faces a setback. And this increasing level in violence, of violence in Ukraine has got to attract some humanitarian support from the United Nations at some stage. I mean, what is the United Nations for if it isn't for situations like this? No, absolutely right. And also, what's NATO for? I mean, you were involved with NATO um, uh, before this. They don't appear to be particularly interested in doing much of anything, do they? Well, it isn't NATO's job, to be fair, Mike. You know, it, it's there to protect the, um, uh, the interests and sovereignty of its members, and Ukraine isn't a member. Um, and if I'm honest, uh, Ukraine is not strategically important to the defence of NATO. I, I was thinking the other day that if uh, Putin had attacked Finland or Sweden, uh, I think even though they're not members of NATO, mm. I think NATO would have an interest because it exposes the northern flank of NATO quite seriously. Right. Ukraine's not the same. It, you know, it, it pushes geographically to the east uh, towards Russia um, and uh, doesn't have quite the same strategic significance, I would suggest, as the, uh, Finland and Sweden do. But when you see um, rockets landing, say, 15 kilometres, as they did, I think, last week from the Polish border, surely NATO would be concerned about that? Not at all. You know, that's 15 kilometres away from NATO. Yeah. Uh, as long as, uh, you know, we are robust in... If one Russian soldier comes across the border and in one, if one wing of an airplane crosses, we do something about it, that's fine. NATO's got to be robust. It's got to do what it uh, says on the tin and say, you know, if you uh, challenge us, if you infringe on our sovereignty, then we will take uh, positive and robust action against you. Hmm. So at the moment, one of the conversations I was listening to um, a couple of days ago was about how the Russians sort of underestimated what was going to be required in Ukraine, not just in terms of how they were going to proceed, but also in terms of the supply chain, in terms of also the logistics that they didn't put into place. And they had probably less preparation than they should have had. Uh, I'm not sure about that, Mike. I think they probably did prepare for it. And, and essentially, they have these sorts of exercises every 18 months, but they normally have them up uh, in the north, uh, opposite the Baltic republics. But this time they went down to Ukraine. I think the real problem the Russians had, and I think it will come out afterwards, is they are actually sitting there for six weeks in the cold and wet, and the equipment was steadily dis deteriorating. Uh, the troops were eating up their rations, and they were using up their spare parts. Mm. And frankly, morale was pretty low as well. Um, so I think by the time they got going, uh, and let's not forget, Ukraine's a very big country. Uh, I think they were running out of steam, uh, running out of enthusiasm. Uh, and I think it all fell apart from that moment. It was the time they spent on the borders, I think, that did for them. Um, and I think the original plan envisaged them operating very fast, getting in. The Ukrainians were going to collapse. Uh, and I, I've seen a report that's been leaked from uh, you know, the FSB 
saying uh, two things. One is, you know, the, the Russian economy won't last beyond June if the sanctions come in. And that's under the old regime, not mm. the new one. So it's going to be even shorter than that. And secondly, a, a very misguided report on how soon the Ukrainian government would fold and Ukrainian forces would give up. Uh, so their intelligence wasn't very good either. No. Which is, is that surprising to you? I mean, you may have been involved, um, you know, with NATO when Russia was a bit more of a kind of a fearsome force. Yeah, but I think, you know, it's quite interesting, isn't it? When uh, the Russian army and air force was surrounding Ukraine, uh, everybody on this side of the fence was bigging them up um, and saying, actually, they're going to steamroll the Ukrainians. So, you know, our intelligence about the Russians wasn't that great uh, because everybody thought they were 10 feet tall and the latest tanks and the latest aircraft would be involved in the conflict. What we've seen, actually, is some pretty second-rate equipment and some pretty second-rate formations. It's only recently... Uh, we've seen them bringing some more potent weapons into the mix and also some of their better units as well. Yeah, absolutely. So as far as the kind of um, the military conflict is concerned, would you say there is a time limit on it, Chris? Yeah, I think there is. I think if uh, if the current Russian push on uh, Kiev and Odessa stalls, uh, I think the Russian government will probably want to go for a minimalist uh, uh, agenda. And to my mind, that will probably be uh, securing the Donbass region uh, in the east, uh, providing a land bridge to Crimea, obviously keeping Crimea, um, and making sure that the water supplies to Crimea uh, continue, or well, in fact, start again. Mm. Uh, I also think they'll probably want to try and uh, capture Kiev. If they don't do that, uh, I think they'll freeze the conflict in the north uh, and then come to the negotiating table under arms. Uh, what is clear is that somehow uh, Russia must have its feet held to the fire on the future security of Ukraine, whatever happens and whatever territorial adjustments are made. Right. Well, we'll watch for the next week or so. I mean, do you see a change in kind of tactics being brought in by Russia at some point if this continues not to work? Not at all. I I think they've got their their hand in the mangle a bit and they'll continue to bombard uh, cities. And uh, what we've seen before in in Grozny, uh, in Chechnya and in in Georgia is if they don't want to assault a place, what they do is stand back. They pulverize it with ballistic cruise uh, and artillery, cruise missiles and artillery, uh, and they wait for people to leave. Mm. uh, And then they, they walk in. Uh, it's absolutely disgraceful. It's war crimes of the highest order, and we've got to hold these people to account. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks very much indeed. Rear Admiral Chris Parry, their former NATO commander, of course, talking uh, about the tactical version of what's been going on over the course of the last week or so in Ukraine, because it does seemingly seem as though the Russians are not quite getting where they want to get to uh, with the powers that they have. And so I wonder how much longer it goes on for. We shall see. We shall keep you abreast of it all, of course, as we speak. We heard today that Boris Johnson would quite like to go to Ukraine. But obviously, uh, his uh, advisers are telling him it's far too dangerous to do that. Um, but it's fascinating as time goes on. Um, we've still, of course, now uh, got to deal with the 10 million or so people who are believed to have been displaced as a result of this Russian military action. Many of them are still coming to the UK. Uh, what we haven't seen too much of yet uh, is all of the supposed virtue signalling celebrities who are going to have Ukrainians in their homes with them. We haven't seen too much of that. Maybe that will happen in the next few days. We shall see. We've got time to take some more of your calls. 0344 is the number. This is Talk Radio. Talk Radio. Across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.
If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.